The Guardian. Guardian Podcast, sponsored by audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash free download, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details. Questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Gordon Henderson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Sapper Connor Ray of 33 Engineer Regiment, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, who died on Wednesday, the 18th of April, from wounds that he sustained in Afghanistan. He was described by all who served with him as a superb soldier. His dedication and his courage will never be forgotten, and we send our condolences to his, families and his, to his family and his loved ones. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Gordon Henderson. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. I would like to associate myself with the Prime Minister's tribute to Sapper Connor Ray, and in doing so, Ask my right honourable friend if he will confirm that although British servicemen and women are scheduled to leave Afghanistan in 2014, the actual pace of withdrawal will be determined first and foremost by the need to minimise the risk to members of our armed forces serving in Afghanistan at that time. Yeah, yeah. My honourable friend makes an important point. I can confirm that by the end of 2014 we won't have anything like the troops numbers we have now and we won't be in a combat role. Of course, post-2014 we do believe in having a training role with the Afghan army, particularly the officer training role that President Karzai has personally asked for us to undertake. The speed of the reductions between now and the end of 2014 will be done in accordance with the conditions on the ground and what is right in terms of transitioning from allied control to Afghan control. And at all times, of course, paramount in our minds is the safety and security of our brave armed forces, who I pay tribute again to to today. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister? in paying tribute to Sapper Connor Ray of 33 Engineer Regiment. He carried out his duties with the utmost courage, saving many Afghan and British lives by what he did, and our deepest condolences go to his family and friends. Mr Speaker, today we had the catastrophic news that Britain is back in recession. I'm sure the Prime Minister spent the last 24 hours thinking of an excuse as to why this is nothing to do with him. So what's his excuse this time? disappointing figures. I don't don't seek to excuse them. I don't seek to try and explain them away. And let me be absolutely clear, there is no complacency at all in this government in dealing with what is a very tough situation that frankly has just got tougher. I believe the truth is this. It is very difficult recovering from the deepest recession in living memory, accompanied accompanied as it was by a debt crisis. Our banks had too much debt, our households had too much debt, our government had too much debt. We have got to rebalance our economy. We need a bigger private sector. We need more exports, more investment. This is painstaking, difficult work, but we will stick with our plans, stick with the low interest rates, and do everything we can to boost growth, competitiveness, and jobs in our country. Mr Speaker, 
typical of this arrogant Prime Minister. He tries to blame everyone else. The reality is, this is a recession made by him and the Chancellor in Downing Street. Over the last 18 months, since his catastrophic spending review, our economy has shrunk. And this is now a slower recovery from recession even than the 1930s. And the reality is that it's families businesses, and businesses who are paying the price for his arrogance and complacency. Why doesn't he admit it? It's his catastrophic economic policy, his plan for austerity, cutting too far and too fast that has landed us back in recession. There is not a single business organisation or serious commentator or international body that thinks these problems emerged in the last 24 months. The debt crisis has been long in making. The failure to regulate our banks has been long in making. The government overspending has been long in making. This is a tough and difficult situation that the economy is in. But the one thing we mustn't do is to abandon public spending and deficit reduction plans because the solution to a debt crisis cannot be more debt. We must not put at risk the low interest rates that are absolutely essential to our recovery. That would be absolute folly, and that is why there is no business organisation, no international economic organisation, that suggests we follow that course. It's, it's all bluster. His plan has failed. That is the reality. They were the people, Mr Speaker, who said that Britain was a safe haven. The Chancellor even said it on Monday, and we are back in recession. He was the person, he was the person who said we were out of the danger zone, and this is what has happened. And as even his own backbenchers are saying, the complacent, arrogant posh boys just don't get it. from the economic disaster of this government to the political disaster that is the Culture Secretary. We now know from the evidence published yesterday that throughout the time the Culture Secretary was supposed to be acting in an impartial manner, he and his office were providing a constant flow of confidential information to News Corporation about statements to be made in this House in advance his private discussions with the regulators and his discussions with opposing parties. Having seen the 163 pages published yesterday, is the Prime Minister seriously trying to tell us that the Secretary of State was acting as he should have done in a transparent, impartial and fair manner? Let me first of all just finish off on the economy, which he's moved off since... hear what the Prime Minister has to say on the economy and anything else. The Prime Minister. We will not let anyone forget who got us into this mess in the first place. More spending, more borrowing, more debt. That is what caused these problems. It cannot be the solution to these problems. Turn. Let me turn, Mr. Speaker. Let me turn, Mr. Speaker, to the Leveson inquiry. I set up the Leveson inquiry. The terms of reference of the inquiry were agreed by the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party and the leader of the Labour Party. And I believe that to step in and try and prejudge that inquiry would be wrong.
Justice Leveson. Lord Justice Leveson has made that precise point this morning. Let me read to the House what Lord Justice Leveson has said. Let me, let me, perhaps the House would like to listen. Let's hear what the Prime Minister has to say, and then the questioning will continue. The Prime Minister. Lord Justice Leveson said this this morning. It is very important to hear every side of the story before drawing conclusions. And then he said this. Although I have seen requests for other inquiries and investigations, and of course I do not seek to constrain Parliament, but it seems to me that the better course is to allow this inquiry to proceed. Now, having set up this inquiry, having agreed with this inquiry, he should listen to the inquiry. Mr Speaker, Lord Justice Leveson is responsible for a lot of things but he is not responsible for the integrity of the Prime Minister's government. In case he'd forgotten, that's his responsibility as the Prime Minister. Now, Mr Speaker, it beggars belief that the Prime Minister can defend the Culture Secretary, because he wasn't judging this bid, he was helping the bid by News Corporation. Two days before the statement to the House on the 25th of January, the Culture Secretary's office was not only colluding with News Corp to provide them information in advance, they were hatching a plan to ensure, and I quote, it would be game over for the opposition to the bid. Does the Prime Minister really believe that is how a judge and his advisers are supposed to act? The Leader of the Opposition clearly doesn't think what Lord Leveson said this morning matters. Let me, let me just remind him, let me remind him what he said yesterday about the Leveson inquiry. He said this. He said this. I think this is the Leader of the Opposition speaking. I think that it's right that the Leveson inquiry takes its course. He went on. The most important thing is that the Leveson inquiry gets to the bottom of what happened, of what Labour did, of what the Conservatives did, and we reach a judgment about that. Isn't it typical of the right honourable gentleman? In the morning, in the morning, he sets out his very clear position, but in the afternoon, he cannot resist the passing political bandwagon. Totally. Uh, order. I said the Prime Minister must be heard. The Leader of the Opposition must be heard. Both will be heard, however long it takes. It's very clear. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, totally pathetic answers. He, he's the Prime Minister. If he can't defend the conduct of his own ministers, his ministers should be out the door. He should fire them. Now, now. He doesn't even try and defend the Secretary of State and what he did. The Secretary of State told this House on the 3rd of March of this year in answer to a question from the Honourable Member for Banbury, and I quote, Today we are publishing all the consultation documents, all the submissions we received, all the exchanges between my department and News Corporation. But he did not, because 163 pages have now emerged. Now, the Prime Minister doesn't defend him over giving confidential information to one party in the case. He doesn't defend him over collusion. Is he really going to defend him about not being straight with this House of Commons? Let me make absolutely clear about the Culture Secretary, who has my full support for the excellent job that he does. 
Culture Secretary, the Culture Secretary will be giving a full account of himself in this House of Commons this afternoon and in front of the Leveson inquiry, and he will give a very good account of himself for this very simple reason, that in judging this important bid, the Culture Secretary sought independent advice from independent regulators at every stage, although he did not need to, and the Culture Secretary took that independent advice at every stage, although he did not need to. The way that the Culture Secretary has dealt with this issue is in stark contrast to the governments of which he was a member. Mr Speaker, I, I do say this to the Prime Minister. While his Culture Secretary remains in place, while he refuses to come clean on his and the Chancellor's meetings with Rupert Murdoch, the shadow of sleaze will hang over this government. And Mr Speaker, and Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, it's a pattern with this Prime Minister. Andy Coulson, Rebecca Brooks, and now the Culture Secretary. When is he going to realise it's time to stop putting his cronies before the interests of the country? I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, he called for an independent judicial inquiry. That is the inquiry I have set up. He agreed the terms of reference. Now he is flip-flopping all over the place on it. Is the problem of closeness between politicians and media proprietors had been going on for years, and it's this government that's going to sort it out. Whether, whether it is the proper regulation of the press, whether it is cleaning up our financial system, whether it's dealing with our debts, I don't duck my responsibilities. What a pity he can't live up to his. Mr. Carl McCartney. Thank you, Speaker. Is my right honourable friend aware of recent very good news in the manufacturing and engineering sectors in Lincoln? Hobble have seen an increase in turnover over 20% to around 17.5 million. Italian firm by Franji have confirmed a circa 50 million investments in a new tooling press, one of the largest in the world, and Siemens are involved in the first new engineering school in our country for 20 years. Friend, accept my personal invitation to visit Lincoln and see for himself the excellent progress our city is enjoying under his Conservative. Well, I'm very grateful to my honourable friend's invitation and I will try and take it up. But as I said earlier, What's happening in our economy, the very disappointing news today, but underneath that there is a rebalancing that needs to take place and that is taking place in terms of manufacturing investment, in terms of exports and in terms of the government getting behind that with more investment in apprenticeships, more investments in technical hubs at our universities like the one at the University of Lincoln and cutting business taxes so we get Britain working and making things again. Yasmin Qureshi. Mr Speaker, on Monday the Prime Minister said that he's going on an economic rescue mission. Is it not fair to say that that mission has failed spectacularly in light of the figures released today? Yeah. The point I'd make to the Honourable Lady is if you look at the recession that we suffered, a 7% contraction of our GDP, that was much bigger even than what happened in America. And it is worth remembering the biggest bank bailout anywhere in the world, it wasn't in America, it was here in Britain. Getting out of the recession, the financial crisis and the debt crisis is difficult, painstaking work 
but this government is committed to doing just that. Gordon Burt's whistle. Last week I met the chief executive of the fourth largest manufacturing group in the UK, who have a substantial factory in Burnley, Unison Engineering. He has been instructed by his US board to increase the turnover of his UK operations so as to take advantage of the government's industrial strategy. He's concerned about the lack of skills. Can my right honourable friend assure me that the government's investment in apprenticeships and university technical college will increase over the coming years? What is interesting, Mr Speaker, is that if any Member of Parliament wants to talk about manufacturing success or business success in their constituency, they are shouted down by the opposition, because all they want to hear is bad news and to talk our economy down. We are investing in skills. We are putting more money into the apprenticeship schemes. We are putting money into the university technical colleges. I was at Airbus in Filton this week seeing expansion and growth plans there, and it is good to hear what is happening in his constituency. Barnum Mahmood. Does the Prime Minister agree with his Chancellor who said in 2008 that, and I quote, once you've got a downturn, you cannot possibly slash public expenditure? Will he stick to his complacent plan of cutting too far and too fast, which has delivered a double dip recession? Well, I'm well read. Um, <laughs> the point is, we inherited. a budget deficit of 11%. The budget deficit we inherited was bigger than Greece, bigger than Spain, bigger than Portugal. If you don't deal with your debts and your deficit, you will never keep interest rates low. And it is low interest rates that offer us the best prospects of getting out of this difficult economic situation we're in. Jeremy Lefroy. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Let's hear from Mr. Lefroy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. At least half a million, at least half a million children died from malaria last year. On World Malaria Day, may I thank the Prime Minister for his personal commitment to combating this disease, and will he join me in recognising? the international leadership which British scientists, aid workers and volunteers, including Rotarians in Pinkridge and Stafford in my constituency, show in combating malaria. I'm very uh, grateful to join the Honourable Gentleman and to wish the people of Pinkridge well. He did rather better in convincing the people of Pinkridge to vote for him than I did in 1997. He's absolutely right to raise the issue of malaria on World Malaria Day. 15,000 children die every week from what is a preventable illness. That's why I'm proud of the fact that Britain is leading on this issue, is putting money into our aid budget, is putting money into malarial bed nets and also to all the scientific advances that he refers to. This is a vital agenda and even in difficult economic times, I think we are right to pursue it. Mark Hendrick. Does this out-of-touch Prime Minister still believe, still believe that the British economy is out of the danger zone? 
one of the biggest problems we faced on taking office was the danger that financial markets would take a view of Britain like they'd taken a view of Greece or of Spain or of Portugal, where interest rates were rising. The fact that we have such low interest rates in Britain demonstrates that we have credibility. These are difficult decisions to get on top of debt and deficit and to deal with public spending, but they're the right decisions, not least because the shadow chancellor once said that low interest rates are the mark of economic credibility. Ray Whitaker. The head teachers of Calder High and Tobin High School within Calder Valley uh, both very much welcome the government's educational reforms. Two schools who never qualified under the BSF from the previous government because they attained far too highly. Can the Prime Minister uh, tell the pupils of those both schools when they can expect an announcement on the priority school buildings pro uh, project to which they have both applied? Well, what I can tell him is that compared with the first two parliaments of the par that the party opposite ran, we're investing more uh, in school building than they did. I think the figure now is something along the lines of £17 billion uh, during the spending review period. So there are opportunities for new classrooms and new buildings. And I'm sure that the Secretary of State for Education, who's listening, listening carefully to my honourable friend, will be in touch with him about the prospects. Ian McKenzie. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with the member from mid when she said, when she said that, the, that the Prime Minister and the Chancellor Order! Order! Let's hear the question. Ian McKenzie. Again, posh boys, showing no compassion or understanding for the lives of others. And will he admit that this is further evidence of being out of touch and why we are in a double dip recession? friend, the member for Mid-Bedfordshire, about many, many things. <laughs> Mr Andrew Jones. Oh, yeah, thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the last two years, uh, UK exports have grown by 23%, with faster growth to the BRIC countries. Will my right honourable friend join me in congratulating the 151 winners of the Queen's Award for Enterprise this week for their success in international trade, particularly GSPK circuits in Knaresborough and Boroughbridge in my constituency. I certainly join him on congratulating this business for its export performance. When we look at some of the fastest growing markets in the world, whether India or China or some of the Southeast Asian markets I visited some uh, days ago, our export performance compared with 2009 in some of those markets is up by as much as 60%. But as well as those markets, we've also got to remember our old friends, as it were, and the fact that we still export more to the Republic of Ireland than we do to Brazil, Russia, India and China combined. So expanding our existing markets, but far harder work, much more work, to get into the fast-growing markets in the world. David Simpson. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Recently, the Prime Minister conceded that the government had made an important mistake in the handling of the fuel crisis. Can I ask him, wouldn't it be a positive step in correcting that mistake if the government were to scrap the three-pence increase in August in order to help motorist college companies and hard-pressed families in the United Kingdom? Well, first of all, the, the government has actually used around £4 billion of budget money to keep petrol prices down, and petrol prices are about 6p lower than they would be under the plans of the party opposite. Um, let, let 
let me update the Honourable Gentleman and indeed the House on the issue of the fuel strike. It now looks as if there is a longer period of time before any potential strike could take place. I'm determined that we use that time to make sure there is every piece of resilience in place. The plans we inherited would have allowed the military to provide maybe 10% of our fuel needs. We've now managed to lift that to something like 60 or 70%. We're in a much better place now because of the proper emergency planning that this government has done, rather than the party opposite that just crossed their fingers and hoped the best from the trade unions. Mr David Amos. It's Wednesday. My mother Maud will celebrate her 100th birthday. she does five minutes from the Olympic Stadium, she has agreed to be Usain Bolt's pacemaker in order to give the other athletes a chance. Will my right honourable friend now call on the indomitable spirit of former Land Army girls such as my mother and encourage our Olympic athletes to go for gold? I will, I will certainly do that. I have... I've written to Maud to congratulate her on this fantastic milestone, and I'm sure that as she speeds past the same bolt, she will just turn round and reflect that indeed the only way is Essex. I'm delighted the Prime Minister has written to her. That makes two of us. Fiona O'Donnell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister has spent plenty of time cozying up to News Corporation in return. When Alex Salmond agreed to act as a lobbyist for News Corp, was he acting in self-interest or in the interests of Scotland? First of all, I think Alex Salmond can answer for himself. <laughs> Secondly, I think that this is another issue that the Leveson inquiry, properly set up, properly established, that's going to interview all the politicians, including all sorts of people who cozied up to News International over the years. And I think on all sides of the House, there's a bit of a need for a hand on heart. We all did too much cozying up to Rupert Murdoch. I think we'd agree. Um, on that basis, I'm sure that Lord Leveson will make some important recommendations. Mr Andrew Griffith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Has the Prime Minister seen the research published today by the Taxpayers' Alliance, which shows that there are 3,097 town hall employees earning more than £100,000 and 52 earning more than £250,000? My constituents in Burton can't understand such exorbitant salaries. What can we do about it? I think my honourable friend is entirely right to, to raise this issue. And the important thing that we have done is made completely transparent the pay in our town halls and in local government. Sadly, I believe there is still one local council, a Labour-controlled council in Nottinghamshire, that is not making this information available. Every council should be transparent about how they spend council taxpayers' money. Barbara Keeley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last year, the Prime Minister said to those people warning him that cutting too far and too fast would risk a double-dip recession should apologise. Now he's delivered a double-dip recession, shouldn't he apologise? Yeah. 
the point I make to the Honourable Lady is this. We faced a very difficult situation with an 11% budget deficit. If we had listened to the plans of the party opposite and spent more, borrowed more and increased our debt, that would have only made the debt crisis worse. How can the answer to a debt crisis be more borrowing? That is the question the party opposite can never answer. Bob Blackman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. After weeks of ducking and diving, Ken Livingston has given a partial publication of his tax affairs. Sadly, he refuses to publish the tax affairs of Silvetta, the company he set up to avoid paying his fair share of tax. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that Ken Livingston has ceased to be the old pretender and has now become the artful dodger? friend speaks for all of London when he makes this point. Ken Livingstone owes the people of London some proper transparency about this company and about his tax bill. There are still several days to go before this key election. He should make that information available. And I have to say, Mr Speaker, I had something of a shock this week when I've hardly ever agreed with anything Alan Sugar has ever said. But in saying Londoners shouldn't back Ken, he was spot on. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Now that the Prime Minister has admitted that he's created the economic mess the country's in, can I, can I be helpful to the Prime Minister? Can I be helpful to the Prime Minister? Drop his ridiculous proposals for region, regional pay cuts and accelerate the capital programme for schools in Coventry and the West Midlands. Well, as I said earlier, we are spending more on capital on schools in this Parliament than in either of the first two Labour Parliaments. I'm very happy again for education ministers to look specifically at the case in his constituency, see what can be done. I also hope that he'll be joining me and inviting people in Coventry on the 3rd of May to vote yes to a mayor for Coventry. Stephen Lloyd. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Every year, millions of British people donate money to charities. They do it for the simple reason they want to help, help a cause or help others worse off than themselves. I would call these actions by members of the public as being honourable, kind and selfless. We have all heard recently that some, not all, but some of our wealthy citizens only want to donate money to charity if they can continue to reduce their tax bill. Does the Prime Minister think their motives are honourable, kind and selfless? First of all, I think we should support in our country people who give money to charity, and that's why this government has expanded gift aid in a very generous way, and also made available a change to help people with inheritance tax if they leave bequests to charity. As he knows, there were set out in the budget a number of uh, limits to reliefs. We specifically identified the potential problem for charities, and my right hon. the Chancellor is going to consult very widely about how we can make sure we encourage philanthropic giving. We encourage encourage charities and we encourage what they do in our country. Angela Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The, UK, uh, the Prime Minister's dismissive response to the fact that the UK is now back in recession suggests that his mind, his mind is on other things. Blame everybody else. Shouldn't he just sack his culture secretary and concentrate properly on the job of sorting out the British yeah. economy? I think the Honourable Lady would recognise there's absolutely nothing dismissive about either my reply on the economy or indeed what I think we need to do. We're 
are in a difficult economic situation in Britain, just as you see now recessions in Denmark, in Holland, in Italy, in Spain. That's what's happening across the continent that we trade with. Now, what is absolutely essential is we take every step we can to help our economy out of recession. Investing in apprenticeships, setting up enterprise zones, cutting business taxes, prioritising investment in our infrastructure. We are doing all of these things and we will do more things to help get our economy out of the mess in which the last government left it. Mr Stephen Hammond. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Far from being dismissive, I think the Prime Minister actually acknowledged that the figures were disappointing. But can he, will he agree with me that getting out of a debt crisis, you don't spend more money, and there is no international organisation suggesting this country changes its course and spend more money to get out of a debt crisis? friend is absolutely right. It's not just there's no international body that is making that case. There is no business organisation making that case. Indeed, the IOD and the CBI are both saying today that while these figures are disappointing, we mustn't give up the low interest rates and the credible fiscal policy we have. That would be the way to land our economy in the problems that they left it in. David Winnick. It's a sorry state of affairs, but in just two years, the economy is in deep recession, and now the government is deep in in sleeves. Same old Tories. I think Russell Brand got it about right yesterday. <laughs> Order. Guardian Podcast, sponsored by audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash free download, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details.